This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Clocks and Colors. Clocks and Colors is handcrafted men's jewelry. They have pendants, chains, rings, bracelets, apparel. I'm wearing some right now. You can check it all out at www.clocksandcolors.com. Colors is spelled C-O-L-O-U-R-S. And they just opened up a sister company called Etta Love. Uh, It's Clocks and Colors for women. They have uh, pendants, rings, bracelets, earrings, and you can check that out at www.ethlove.com. The second sponsor of the podcast is Manscaped. Get yourself a precise trim. Proper manscaping requires precision-engineered tools. Not only does a man's sensitive areas require it, but both hygiene and ergonomics demand it. Out now is the Lawnmower 3.0. This is a top-quality shaver. It features a light so you can see and you're not going in blind down there. This thing is running at 7,000 RPMs. This thing is waterproof. You want to shave in the bath? It's not a problem. You want to shave in the pool? It's not a problem. You want to go scuba diving and shave? It's not a problem. And I want to help you guys out today. You can get the Lawnmower 3.0. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the discount code OSIRIS20 at checkout. Uh, so you're going to go to www.manscaped.com. Get what you like. And when you're checking out, hit the discount code OSIRIS20. Let's get on to the podcast. Welcome back to the Infinite Mind Podcast. This is episode nine. And I might say, this is the second week in a row I'm doing this. Consistency. Don't we love it? I think people that watch this podcast have known that I've always said I would like to do it consistently, yet I never end up doing it. So hey, two weeks in a row is is a milestone for me. Um, but yeah, this is just my uh, it's my podcast to connect with people. I go over you know what's been going on, all the music that I do, what's been going on in my life. Um, I do questionnaire. Uh, that's going to be the bulk of it now is just whatever questions you guys have for me. Um, I just found, as you might have uh, heard last week, that I just want to get back to the basics with this. Just answering your questions is, uh, you know, to the best of my ability and uh, just keeping it truly connecting with you guys. So that's what it is. Um, let's get some uh, current events, right? Born of Osiris. So yeah, I kind of told you a little bit last week, but uh, I have slightly more details this time. So in May, we're going to do a second music video. So that should be coming, you know, it's April 29th right now. So, or yeah. So you'll be getting that soon. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's the title track to the album. You might get some more information on that day too. Hint, hint. You know, I can't say too much, but um, that's coming. Um, Also in May, you're going to get the White Nile guitar playthrough with me and Nick Rossi. And we had a blast doing that. You know, we're probably going to film a playthroughs for the bulk of the the upcoming album. I think that's just fun content for people to have. We're also talking about doing a tablature book for Born of Osiris, which has never been done before on any of our records. And so, you know, a little organizing needs to go into that. We but we know who's going to do it. The same person who does my Infinite Mind tablature books. So, the process has been streamlined by now with him, but we just need to, you know, execute getting him videos of how we play each thing, slowed down. You know, there's there's other companies that will do it for you. They'll go and just listen to your record or listen to your stems, and they'll kind of 
you know, play the guessing game of what it is and then they'll send it to you and you'll just approve it. But we're, the way I like to do it is send videos of the, uh, the process of the guitar part slowed down. And I think that from the, from the start, you're going to get a more accurate product. So that's important to us, obviously with, uh, you know, with this kind of thing where accuracy is, is everything. It's a tab book, right? Cool. Um, solo music. Yeah. We've been working on the vinyl, the album booklet, and the tablature book, but that's all finalized for the solo stuff. I, I mentioned last week, we want to get it to a point where when the album drops, you get all this on day one. So the last album, I think the album came out and then we did, you know, uh, we did some playthroughs and I think it just came out with like, uh, you know, a few t-shirts and then we did the tab book and it was a staggered release. And then lastly, honestly, a year into the record cycles when we did the vinyl for Infinite Mind. So this one, it's going to be all at, all at once. I think that's important. You know, you can even set it up to where it is. Um, it's like, uh, you know, pre-order packages, pre-order the album, you get the vinyl on day one, you get the tab book on day one. So that's exciting for me. Um, it's preferred to be done that way. But you know, with the first album, you, you don't know if it's if it's going to make money, or if it's going to tank. So you know, as a label being responsible says, let's see how this thing does first before we just you know, go overboard and it did well. You guys supported it and I thank you for that. And so now we're at a point where we can just roll things out at once and uh, everything feels better for everyone. So thanks for the support and, and helping that grow. You know, that, that means a lot to me. You, you got to imagine that, uh, you know, everything in a band means so much to you, right? It's all your buddies. It's all the music you make with them and it's your music and it's your life. But when you take that solo adventure, there's just something that, uh, you know, you have an, a, a softer place in your heart for it just because of how much you did to it and how raw of it, how much it's just your raw emotion. And um, yeah, so that kind of thing means a lot. So I appreciate you guys. Let's see, in motive, nothing new. However, I'm excited. So I mentioned on the last podcast as well, I'm moving. So moving into the city of Dallas where I'm at right now is in the is Plano. It's in the suburbs Plano Texas um and Dave the singer of Inmotive is in downtown Dallas and so I'm excited because we're going to get better writing sessions more frequent we're going to try to do weekly um at least one a week a writing session for Inmotive or you know whatever else we both do studio work in our off time so maybe we'll collaborate on some of that kind of thing you know the 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 potential is there you know for a lot of work between us whether it's producing other bands uh, artists um you know doing more in motive whatever it may be so i'm excited um dave escamilla if you don't do not know he was uh in crown the empire we toured together on warp tour and mayhem and or not mayhem i don't think uh, did a couple warp tours together a couple other tours and a bunch of shows and festivals with born of osiris and crown the empire Developed a friendship there, and when In Motive was in need of a singer, you know, it's, it's a random funny story to me. I, like, I woke up at like 3 in the morning, had to go to the bathroom, and was just like, checked my DMs, and he was in it. And he just said something like, hey, if, if you guys need something, let me know. Which was weird, because I don't think we had said anything about needing a singer at that time, to my knowledge. I just remember it felt really natural, and it was cool how it all came out. So, anyways, I'll be living closer to Dave, and I'm excited to... Just uh, you know, take advantage of the relationship and the, and the lack of distance between us. The the actual just just how close we'll be. So I think it'll be good for in motive, and, and I'm excited about that because I love what we do. But I've said a million times that I wish we could do more of it. So that's that for in motive. It's exciting to me. Um, Paradise City, 
Not much going on. I mentioned last week that, you know, I wrote uh, a lot of the music for the band The Relentless and another band in the show. And uh, it's out on Amazon Prime, so make sure you check that out. It's uh, a, lot of, a lot of the music you'll hear in it, uh, as far as when they say, like when they say, here's a new original from, or when they're on stage performing something. That's a lot of the time where you're hearing what I did. So, And that's me on all instruments. It's fun. I had a blast doing it. It was kind of what uh, I did the majority of quarantine was uh, you know, prepping music for, for Paradise City. So it was nice in a time where you can't, you know, nothing's going on with bands. You can't tour and things of that nature that, uh, that I had that kind of, you know, pushing me and keep me going, keep me on a schedule and keep me busy. You know, I, I do the studio work and that's, that's a blast. And, you know, I think that the, there's a cool thing about the studio work to me. I'll say this, and this is my studio, Osiris Studios that I'm talking about. Um, you know, some, some musicians will do it as a second form of income. And of course that's one reason I do it. But for me, like if I were to like want to connect with a musician, say like Guthrie Govan is like my favorite guitar player. Say, you know, if I could do two things, one would be to like meet him or two would be like to do a song with him or work on music with them. Like I would definitely take the song. So for me, just like this podcast, like that's a way for me to connect with people and listen, like I like connecting with all musicians and making music with all musicians of all genres, of all levels, of all popularity. That stuff doesn't matter to me. You know, there's a quote, I think it was like some president that said, you know, you can learn from the dumbest guy in the room, you can learn something. Now, let me, hear me out on this analogy here. What I mean is like any guitar player, the worst, the best, whatever, it could be something with mindset, it could be something with technique, it could be something with just attitude, whatever. Um, I think you can learn from anyone and regardless of your level. And and so for that reason, I love just collaborating with musicians. I don't think it happens enough in this genre, in the rock genre, the metal genre at all. And and so, something I get joy out of. Of course, you know, I make money as well on that. And that's but I think in that situation, everyone kind of wins, you know, like people get to connect with me. I get to connect with them. They get a new cool music product. You know, there's money on the side for me, whatever. Um, you know, I hate saying the word money here, but you, you know what I'm saying is ultimately it's not what it's about. But connecting is what it is about. And, you know, I think I learned from everyone. I'm, I'm working on a song with a guy today, this morning, and uh, he wrote the first part of the song. And I just remember th- being so stoked when I heard it. And my job was to write the next part of the song. And I did that and, and I sent it to him. And I was like, hey, hope you like it. Here's what I did. And I just in my head, I'm thinking no matter what, if he says he doesn't like it, I'm making it a Born of Osiris riff because <laughs> it was so, I loved it. I loved what I did, you know? And um, so, yeah, there's tons of benefits to the studio stuff. And and so studio in Paradise City was kind of my thing throughout the pandemic, the quarantine, the uh, the lockdown. And uh, yeah, I'm thankful for all that kind of stuff. Um, as far as just me, uh, I think like the day that I recorded the last podcast, so I think that was like last Thursday or Friday, whatever. I went to jujitsu afterwards and popped my knee. And that's scary because, you know, when you're rolling or sparring or fighting, when anything like that happens, like your adrenaline is pumping so hard and, and you know, you're so wrapped up in the moment. I call it the flow state, which, you know, I find with music on stage, you know, sparring. I find myself not thinking about anything. I'm just in the zone. I'm in this flow state, right? So anyways, when, when you have an injury or you know, and your knee pops, particularly the knee. It's scary because you don't know what it is. Because in the moment, it doesn't hurt that bad. And it's because of that adrenaline. But with, with the knee, it's scary because a, a pop could be something that you need surgery for. It could put you out for a long time. A pop could be something that you ice for a few days. It could be a two-week thing. It could be so many... There's so many parts of the knee. It's such a 
obviously intricate part of the body. Um, you don't need me to tell you, but yeah, there's a lot going on there. So that was kind of, uh, it was scary for me. So the last week I didn't get to do any real physical activity. The, the first few days I was icing it. Um, first few days they say do ice only. So 20 minute intervals, ice only after, after day three, they were like, you do uh, ice and then introduce heat. So on and off ice and, and heat. And so did that. Um, you know, realistically, probably a day. <laughs> I'm starting to feel a little better. And then the last couple of days, I've been just doing, uh, you know, an hour or two on the bike, which is low uh, impact on the knee. So cardio just on the bike. Um, walking just around my neighborhood, an hour or two, listening to podcasts, you know. did I've done some with a brace on, some with the brace off. You know, I don't want to baby it too much, but you also need, you don't, you don't, you don't want to go too quick on it. Excuse me. <coughs> And then, um, and then all of a sudden you injure it worse. So that was kind of that, which is unfortunate, but one bright spot of the last week was my birthday. That was last Saturday, which was, which was fun. Uh, we went to Buca de Beppo, which is like my favorite Italian restaurant. Don't get me wrong. It's like a chain. I understand that there's probably some mom pop Italian restaurants in every city that blow it out of the water. I'm sure Uh, the potential, you know, for that is there, but just as far as a, a spot that I see often sometimes on tour and we have here at the house, Buca de Beppo's is the spot. I love it. I think it's four years in a row. I've been there for my birthday. And uh, yeah, my favorite dish ever there, it's the the pasta carbonara. I just am obsessed with that dish. And it, it, it's such a big dish, I swear. It's like three, four meals worth. And that's the small. You know, I think I had it for three days I was eating that thing. I used to go on tour and get the large, and that would be in our fridge for a week, and I'm sure the guys were super annoyed that I took up half of a fridge, because they're not that big on a tour bus with my pasta, but I love that shit, it is what it is, anyways, after after we went and watched the fights, the fight card, I do like an MMA podcast as well, so I won't go too deep in, into it here, but I don't know if I'm going to do one for that episode, because full disclosure, it's my birthday, I'm drinking, and what, what my MMA podcast is, after the fact, you know, when I'm watching, I'll I'll take notes on every round of every fight. And in the MMA podcast, I'll go round by round and tell you my thoughts. So I didn't want to skimp and give you a half-assed post-fight MMA podcast because I was drinking at a bar watching the fights. And so, you know, I didn't want to give you my, you know, maybe somewhat foggy vision of it. But, you know, highlights, obviously, the, uh, the Usman knockout of Masvidal. Incredible work. Uh, you know, I think he was throwing like straight jabs and then all of a sudden I think he did the left hook and then you could just see Masvidal bit on that hook and just sent that right straight down the pipe. Knocked him out. Beautiful knockout. Again, I'm already going into my breakdown of it, which is not why you're here, but um, oh, it was beautiful. Chris Weidman had a terrible injury, which I found interesting because he threw a kick on Uriah Hall and it just completely snapped his his you know, his leg like in half below the knee. Um, and what's interesting about that is the last time I saw that happen, it was when Anderson Silva kicked Chris Weidman's leg. The same injury happened. I've only seen it twice, and two guys were involved. The same two guys were involved, except for a third, which was Uriah Hall, which also, interesting enough, was the last person to beat Anderson Silva and just faced uh, Chris Weidman, and, and the leg injury happened. Anyways, weird I go down a rabbit hole of this MMA shit, but it was weird. Weird uh, coincidence, I would say. 
Um, but yeah, watch the fights. Probably had too much to drink. It is what it is. It's my birthday. I can cry if I want to. I can drink if I want to, right? Cool. All right, let's get into some questions, huh? Shall we? First question says, me a question? So, I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, next question. Which signature guitar would be your favorite that you have so far? Okay, well, that is an easy one for me. I call it Sully. It's really the only one I've given a name to. It's a monster burst uh, as the color, which is like a blue and a purple. It's an LM7X, which is my signature model guitar, which goes by LMX. The number inside the initials will tell you how many strings. So I sell uh, LM6X, six string. I sell an LM7X, seven string, and I, I have an LM8X as well that you can buy um, eight string. So it's it's an LM7X. Listen, I just connected with it instantly. It sounded incredible. Sometimes you have two guitars that are made the same way, even though no Kiesel is, but the one will just have something about it, a sound to it, a feel in your hand, a way you feel when you pick it up, and that's that one. Um, it's often five feet away from me, as it is right now, um, and that is my favorite. I've had memories with it. I did my first solo tour in Europe, or my first solo tour ever with that guitar is my main is my main rig. Um, I had my first sober show ever, which don't get me wrong. I, it's not like any time before that you saw me, I was blacked out by any means, but the first show that I had like the courage to walk on stage without a single drink, I had that guitar in my hand, you know what I mean? So I feel like I've been through just like some shit with that guitar. I played my first, I think, and second Nam performances on that guitar. Maybe not first, but you know, just memories I've created with that guitar that, uh, will forever kind of just make it special to me and the bulk of infinite mind you know is that guitar it's in all the playthroughs so it's in the intro to the podcast that you saw first podcast is this one that i have a cool looking intro shout out to samarian for that but you saw it at the beginning that's the guitar in there uh how big is your hey my wife's in here cool i think you know where that was going all right what was your first electric guitar um my first electric guitar was a Gibson Epiphone Flying V, and it was a three-quarter size. So here's a cool story for you. I wanted a guitar. I was 10 years old for Christmas. Um, you know, I think, you know, I didn't grow up in, like, with a rich family by any means, so I don't know if it was in the cards as far as finances. You know, I'm not really sure why, but I just remember there was an issue. You know, my mom said not this year or something like that. And... um my dad said, "Hey, just give me your give me your list, what it is you want, and uh, you know we'll get it figured out." So that year, all I did on my list was draw a black flying V. That's it. I was just being a brat, just you know refusing to um, to play the game. So that year, Christmas went by. I got all all the random things that a kid would get, um, and then it was over. And then all of a sudden, he goes, "Hey, I got one more thing," and he pulls out a black Gibson flying V Epiphone and my mom didn't know. So <laughs> it was a shock. And, uh, you know, I don't know <laughs> what she thought about it. You know, I think she probably played it off nicely, but yeah, I got it. And I don't know. Uh, I just, I played that guitar. I went to guitar lessons every Thursday. And, uh, I, I remember I played the show that guitar to the point where I was getting older, you know, now I'm, now I'm not 10 years old anymore. And my guitar teacher's like, Hey, you got to get him into uh, a new guitar. This thing's a three-quarter size. It was real small. You'd zip around it because the frets were so close together, but I just outgrew the thing. 
I think it's in Chicago at my at my dad's house, and you know I hope to one day put it in kind of a glass case and you know put it in my studio or in my house somewhere. And uh, you know that guitar means a lot to me, so that's a cool question to ask, and I, I enjoy the story attached to it. Next question: What's your favorite Born of Osiris song to play live? Um, lately, it's been a song called "Under the Gun." It's not the shreddiest song. It's not the heaviest song. It's not the most technical song in the Born of Osiris catalog. But what I like about it is that um, just the tempo, uh, the intro, kind of lo-fi getting it, it. It's like a lo-fi intro, and then it hits hard when the full band comes in. And every time we play it live, the crowd is just front to back, just jumping. And it's just good vibes. And uh, I like the melody. You know, call me cheesy because I wrote the damn thing and, but to say I like the melody. I think it's real catchy. So to feel that catchy melody over like a jumpy, heavy part, it just hits really hard every time. And that's my favorite part, our favorite song to play live. We do uh, the, the, the bridge of the song is cool. It's got this like clean dotted eight guitar thing that I play in it where it's like, you know, if you play it to a certain tempo, the dotted eight delay will sound like you're playing a million more notes than you are, which, hey, that's a win-win, right? But no, it's it's just like it, it sounds cool when you have the it up pretty high, the, the sound of that delay up pretty high. Just sounds like a barrage of clean notes. Um, and it's a relatively simple guitar part to play. But um, yeah, just it's a rewarding song to play beginning to end. And the crowd seems to get a lot out of it. So enjoy it. Thoughts on multi-scale instruments well i don't have any i've picked them up you know what i have a bass the bass that i play the bass that i recorded newborn of osiris the bass that i recorded infinite mind the bass that i recorded uh anything upcoming that you're gonna hear whether it's born of osiris solo um if i did any bass on in mode if i can't remember um it's all on a multi-scale bass so that i like it doesn't feel any different to me however on guitar i didn't really care for it i felt like I just didn't like how it felt, which is weird because on the bass, I seem to like it. On the guitar, I seem to dislike it. Uh, does it have its benefits? Sure. I just don't see a point. I'm sure you, you could argue the all the you know the, the benefits of it, but uh, it's just not for me. Is that uh, something I'm going to like die on a hill with and live that way forever? No. You know, I might get a multi-scale guitar in the future and love it. At the moment, uh, not necessary for me. Next album is Spiritually Discovery 2 question mark. I don't necessarily know. Or maybe are you asking, is it like got spiritual vibes? Um I don't know. I don't know. I think the vibes of the discovery are often dictated by the artwork. The spiritual vibes. Um, which artwork does not look like that. As a matter of fact, the artwork on the new Born Osiris is very different. We wanted to like kind of make a statement that this isn't the same thing you've been you're used to this is a new born of osiris this is new and improved um and so we wanted to go art in a totally different direction so we've we've had a lot of the same artists throughout our career and i love that artist and by the way the new upcoming second solo album i use that artist and he even has born of osiris vibes you'll see uh, you know i hope in the next few months when that comes out but I love the style, but we decided that we wanted to go a different path on the new Born of Osiris, and so it will look different. And uh, I was nervous. You know, I think it took us all of our, out, out of our comfort zone. But in the end, we got, you know, there's like three pieces of art in this that we that we uh, had uh, had the guy do. 
and kind of dictated the direction a little bit with the Sumerian art team. Some super talented creative people over there. Shout out to Daniel McBride. Um, for example, what he'll do is he'll a make art all the time. He makes art all the time. Made our logo, but um, he'll kind of find the right artist for what the band's looking for and kind of coach that artist into giving what the band what they want. So that was kind of his role here. And we commissioned a few pieces with this artist who I'm excited to, you know, talk more about in the future and just killed it. And and I wanted to do something and we might where each of the pieces of art that we commissioned for the new album, you can have all framed like with a pre-order. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I would love to see each piece of art in that album because I would have them all up in my studio. I love them. Each one. Proud of the new artwork. Made us feel uncomfortable at first, but in the end, it was something that feels like growth. And, and uh, yeah, I hope you guys like it, too. What exercises did you do starting off playing guitar, and do you do you any other helpful tips? Um, exercises. Well, you know, I don't know. I'll tell you this. I, I grew up playing, sh- uh, reading sheet music. This was like, I want to say before tab, tablature. I know it's going to sound old, and it might be incorrect. But I remember I spent five years learning how to read sheet music. I could like sit down with a jazz band and read and play live, you know? And then I remember one day, whether it came out then or whether I just wasn't aware of it, someone showed me tablature and they're like, oh yeah, you see the lines? Like, lay your guitar like this and look at it. And that's what you're seeing on the screen. Like the five is that fret and the line is that string. And that's how easy it is to read. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, I just learned all this shit for nothing. Uh, you know, I haven't sat in with a band and read you know, sheet music, I, I can do it, I think, you know, now that I think of it, it's been so long, I wonder if I'd be rusty, I'm sure, but um, that was the main difference, you know, it was more of a structured reading sheet music guitar beginning for me, and and now it's just kind of, I, I honestly, when I write, I kind of throw all theory out the window, not, not in an intentionally bad way, but in a way where I don't need to be, uh, stick to a rule set you know, I don't need a box, and sometimes I enjoy playing with the the edges of that box. But obviously, there's a box for a reason. You things just can sound nasty if you completely abuse music music theory. But I would say, just in general, I write by ear. Um, tips, you know, honestly, practice to a metronome, and do alternate picking exercises, all kinds of things. And if, as far as sweeping, I would say, you know, don't try to bite off a six string sweep from an Animals' Leader song. Take it three string sweep, join to a four swing uh, string sweep, things of that nature. So, Josh, I hope that uh, hope that helps. Any other instrument that you would like to experiment on your future solo work? So, actually, yeah, what I would like to do in the future is have an electronic drum set in the studio and perform the um, drums. I mean, obviously, it'd be nice to have a huge room and an acoustic drum set. And that might happen down the road because I can play drums. Not very. I'm not going to knock your head off, but you know, if I practiced enough and had the means to do so, I could I could fine tune some of my technique. And I would like to be playing, you know, the drums on the albums as well. Um, you know, because right now, as far as the building process of the songs, I'm I'm using you know a program. Superior drummer is what I like, and uh, you know, I really like being in charge of that so i'm telling you if there's like a dun 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 guitar part i'm like so crazy about making sure there's definitely a kick on each one of those chugs and there's and then there's you know the gaps have to be filled perfect like i get really picky about drums on my solo stuff and so i take pride in that but it scares me to be like i'm gonna go record acoustic drums with some drummer 
and just hope it sounds right because I know I would just be so picky about little details. So yeah, I want to be the one performing drums, and I think an electronic drum set would be the next step for me to just really get in, um, to the point where you're listening to my drum performances, which I think is would be cool. You know, I, I have a feeling that a lot of dudes doing solo albums like me who um, play all the instruments aren't performing the drums too. They are out there. Those are your freaks out there um, that do more, you know, than they're playing hor- uh, horns and all these other crazy instruments, you know, you're but uh but that's the next step that i would like to get into is doing drums as well um electronically you know running into superior drummer and triggering triggering the sounds that i like or whatever it is um i've so there's saxophone in all my solo music and i've toyed with the idea of maybe getting one and actually uh playing the sax too but honestly up until this point i've so enjoyed working with adrian from the mars volta uh, I did a song with John Waugh from 1975. I'm having so much fun with working with these people that ultimately I haven't gone the ro- down the road of learning saxophone. But to answer your question, yes, it's crossed my mind. Um, what got you into tattoos? Well, I t- to be honest, and this isn't a sad story, but I think being young, redhead, pale kid, I think that there was like an insecurity to having pale white skin or you know, red hair, whatever. So I think, you know, when I turned 18, I, fun fact, the day I turned 18, I tattooed my neck and I'm covering it up right now. But, um, yeah, so (laughs) that's my 18th birthday for you. Um, you know, I think there was an insecurity level to just being this pale dude, maybe freckles, whatever it was. Um, I gotta say that was probably what got me into it. Other than that, the look, I still to this day love the look of tattoos. I don't regret any of them. You know, I'd love to fucking go onto the side of my head. I, I, I don't know if I'll do it, but, you know, it's just, I think it's the ultimate form of self-expression. And, and I'll tell you this. Here's one thing, because, okay, funny story about the neck tattoo. I saw the owner of my record label, Ash Avildsen, who still obviously have a great relationship with today, and showed him the neck tattoo. And he, called, he goes, oh, the job killer. So I was like, yeah, bro, but you just gave me a record contract. I'm going to be famous. That's how it goes, right? I'm going to be rich forever. Um, <laughs> boy was I in for you know rude awakening about how the industry worked, but that was anyways. That's a funny story, but one thing on that note that is important for me to say is what it did do for me is guarantee me that I'll never fall into working a job that like I don't that I can't be me in. It's a it's a guarantee for the rest of my life that no matter what I do, I will be able to be me because this is me, obviously, with the tattoos and and, and you get what you get. There's good people with tattoos. I think I think nowadays, like, when I say there's good people with tattoos, that's obvious, right? I think n- nowadays it's it's more accepted, but, you know, there was obviously a stigma to it in the past where you couldn't get certain jobs, you couldn't be in the military, you couldn't do this, that, and this. I think we're getting past that. Is it, Are we fully past it? No. There's obviously small-minded people out there that can't understand that all it is is self-expression and it's actually beautiful you know most of the time if you if you look at it uh, not through your judgmental lens but um yeah that's uh, that's kind of it for me it was probably because i was this pale kid it's probably because i thought they looked cool it's probably because uh, i was in a band and that's what you do it's probably because um it was definitely because uh, it was it was putting the nail in the coffin that i will i will always do something that i can be me and that's not negotiable when new album, Daddy? I think every time I ask for questions, you ask me that question. And hey, let's keep let's keep it going. Hola. Well, hello. 
How can Boo get more mainstream? Was the genre more popular in 2000s? Why? Um, how can we get more mainstream? Well, we'll tackle that first. Probably add singing. That would definitely do it. Um, we we have singing in some of our songs, but I think if we leaned into that, have always had a singing chorus. We you know that might help. Um, and was the genre more popular in the 2000s? I'm not sure. In ways, the genre feels like it's bigger with bands like Bring Me the Horizon um, getting so so popular and 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 uh, what's the other band? A Day to Remember. So now hold on a second because i'm talking genre and i gave you two that definitely don't sound like born osiris but but here's what i'm saying to the outside people in the world that aren't in our scene and have all these ridiculous little subtitles and subgenres, they hear bring me they hear born osiris they hear a day to remember and they're like that's that heavy shit cool i understand you guys will disagree because we know this scene and we know the vast differences between the bands i just mentioned but my point is uh as a heavy music genre is it more popular in the 2000s I'm not sure, and I'm sorry if I feel like I'm ducking your question, because in ways I felt like my particular progressive metal scene and my band and Veil and After the Burial, like it was a really fun time in the 2000s. Um, but then there's, and and but then there's a time where I think right now it's like you have Bring Me the Horizon hitting the mainstream, and people complain about that. I'm like, you guys don't realize this helps us all. The bigger one of us gets, you know, the rising tide, you know, raises all ships. So. It's a good thing, but I don't know if it's ever been more popular or less popular. So sorry about that. Hey, Lee, big fan. My question is, how do you deal with insecurities regarding guitar playing? That's a fucking great question. Um, they're there. You know, they're definitely there, especially in the new age where kids can just hide behind a screen and they can say, you know, you suck at this and this guy's better at this. Um, and, and as a musician, like we put our heart on our sleeves, like we, like, I want you to like the songs that I write and I want you to like the riffs that I play, not just because I can make more money if you do, because I'm like showing you me and this is who I am and and I hope you like it. And so there's a vulnerability to it that I think is so beautiful in music and all art, uh, for that matter. Um, so the insecurities are there, you know, and, and so how do you deal with it? I think, first of all, one thing I would have to say is this. Someone who's doing more than you is not commenting down about you. These are these are people that are coming from below you shooting upwards. So don't ever worry about anything negative people say about you because you have to understand that they're coming from a place of insecure insecurity in, on their own and jealousy on their own. So that's one thing. You will never find me, let's say, going on the internet for some kid who's posted his first video on YouTube and he's playing his guitar part, is it probably amazing? Might not be, but you're never going to find a guy like me who's made a career out of it saying, what is that? Oh, that's bullshit. Like, that would be so pathetic. What you will have, though, is some dude who's still living in his mom's basement who is going to go online, and he's going to look at my video and say, oh, man, I, I know somebody who could do that better. That's the kind of shit you have to deal with. So as far as insecurities, listen, they're going to be there. You know, life in itself has insecurities outside of guitar playing. It's a part of life. I don't think you should feel weird about it or embarrassed about it or anything like that. Um, I would just say this. You know, I said something last week, and it was that uh, don't worry about it. Just do you and enjoy it. And it still holds true with this. Um, but, I mean, it is what it is, though. Like, just enjoy it. Don't worry about it. If you have insecurities... Um, I think that's just a part of guitar playing and and let's and let's do this. Let's say take those insecurities and use them as a way to propel yourself to get better. You know, like turn it into a positive. And I think that uh 
if you have an insecurity about this part of your guitar playing, then maybe uh, let's lean into that, get some part of your guitar playing and just fix it. You know what I mean? So you can use it as a way to get better. Uh, I'll tell you one story here. I told Jeff Kiesel of Kiesel Guitars, I was like, yeah, I don't read comments because it's just a bunch of bullshit. Um, and that is true. I didn't. And he goes, okay, I respect that. And he goes, I actually read comments and the ones that piss me off the most I lean into those and, and I wonder why they're pissing me off the most. And it probably means there's some insecurity there and I had in that direction, I fixed that insecurity. So good question. Hope you like the answer. I think that um, it's there. I have them. I've been playing guitar for 22 years now and I still have insecurities. So it's all good. Who have you known the longest out of Boo? Um, well, I think I kind of knew them all at the same time. Because in high school, we were all in different local bands, and we just played shows together. And so I probably all met him at the same local show that we were all playing on. We were all in our own little bands that eventually merged together to become, you know, it was Your Heart Engraved, and then it was Rosecrans, and then it was Born of Osiris. And, you know, it's funny, our Wikipedia says, all these name changes and blah, blah, blah. Like, like it was just a bunch of different recycling uh revolving door of people but it wasn't really the case the same guys we just changed our name once on our own and then once when we got signed because uh just to get on the same page as the label why did david leave that's a great question um so i can i don't know if i know the all the details of particularly why but i can tell you this there was just a lot of touring happening happening at this one point in time and I think it was just overwhelming for him. You know, there was probably things going on in his life that he needed to take care of at home and wasn't getting the time to take care of. That's just an assumption. You know, I'm not saying there's an event, but you know what I mean? It was just a hectic time for the band, a busy time for the band. And we had been touring for probably close to a decade at that point. Um, and so he needed a break. And let me say this. David is is family. He's born with Cyrus family. Um, I would kill for that dude. I love that dude to death. I love him and his family, his real family. Um, I just have not enough good things to say about David. I love him to death. I don't actually believe that, uh, the last time I'll step on stage with him has already happened yet. You know what I mean? Like in my heart, I believe I'll be on, I'll get to share the stage with him again. And whether that's for one song at a Chicago concert or that's a tour or whether that's, he's in the band again one day, I don't know, but I can tell you that he's always welcome here in my book. Um, yeah, I, I, I cannot say enough good things about David Drusha. Love that guy. <clears throat> what is your favorite watch brand how much time do you have um listen i love all the classics i like rolex patek philippe audemars piguet uh, omega iwc uh oris i'm wearing an oris aquas right now it's it's like my daily which i think is a nice watch but it's not something where if i hit it against the wall it breaks my heart um it's a nice middle ground daily daily uh day-to-day -day watch oris aquas um, I like some Cartier, Vacheron Constantin, uh, Panerai, you know, there's, there's like, um, there's one watch brand that I like dislike. I like there's one watch brand that I dislike and they're super popular on, among the rappers. They're big and gaudy and I hate that. And it's Richard Mille. They're super rare. I'm sure the way that they're put together is just breathtaking I'm sure if I saw one in person, that might help. I've never seen one in person. But every time I see one in a photo, I'm just like, I don't get the hype on that shit. But uh, Richard Mille doesn't have to worry because I don't know if my, I'll ever have a way to pay for a watch like that. But uh, 
yeah, there's there's just a ton of cool watch brands, and I could do a whole podcast on that. But thanks for that question because got me smiling. Um, let's see here. Favorite song from each Boo album. Whew. Let me. All right, I'm gonna go on the internet here. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. I uh, want to do that on the podcast usually, but I don't know. Um, I don't actually know. You know what's on what? So let's see. This is going to be too challenging. I'm sorry. It would take me a minute. You know, I try not to do too much um, digging before before these. Po- I don't try to. I don't try to like read all the questions because I feel like it's then I'm all prepared. I like the level of like get me an honest answer in the moment. So I, I should have done a little more research on this. But let me just go through the albums. Higher place. Uh, I like the song Elimination. Discovery. Uh, I miss playing um, couldn't tell you yeah you know I'm sorry it's hard for me there's a song called Warlords I think on Tomorrow We Die Live that I miss playing oh let's see okay that's no see I don't know my shit okay so that's Soul Sphere I miss playing Warlords Tomorrow We Die Alive, and I'm clicking on the songs now. This is easier. Um, Exhilarate. Vengeance. Oh, that's There's fun ones on that. Let's see. The Discovery. Uh, I miss playing Automatic Motion. That's a fun one. Um, I did Elimination for that. Simulation, we've been playing. New Rain, we did the whole thing. Yeah, so sorry. <laughs> I should have been more prepared for that, but uh, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Um, Xfx three Kemper or Line six Helix. Okay, I'm gonna, out of those three. I'm gonna pick the Xfx three. Um, I have a Neural DSP Quad Cortex arriving literally any day, and that I'm very excited about. I think that's gonna be just as good around the Xfx three, maybe better. Who knows? Don't crucify me. I don't know. Um, as far as the Helix, they're all these are all great units. I think that's why you're asking the question and comparing them, but. For me, it's the XFX3. If I was strictly going to just tone match and uh, album tones and take them on tour, maybe maybe Kemper, I would say building tones, XFX3. Copying tones, Kemper. Line 6, Helix, I do think probably doesn't compare to those two. So that would, that would be my third place out of those three. Will you ever work with Neural DSP on some amp sims? Um, yes. Yeah, so Gojira came out their plugin. I have, I, I made presets for that. Um, basically anytime they're coming out with a product, they send me, um, uh, an email that says, Hey, here's your, uh, non-disclosure. Like you can't talk about this to anybody, but here's the product make tones. If you send us tones, then we'll, we'll put the product out. It'll come with your tones on release day. So I do that. Um, as far as a product, I'd love to make one of them down the road. If they feel that I bring enough value to the company, like an archetype, I'd love to do that. Um, there's no talk about that. I'm still relatively new and chatting people with people in the company. There's probably more deserving artists who knows. Um, I would love to do like an archetype thing down the road. Um, but yeah, you can find my tones of neural DSP kind of all around. Where can we hear another solo track? Um, solo track that, uh, you know, I don't know. I can tell you kind of the Bourne layout, and that's just you're going to hear some over the next couple months and while the record rolls out. But And I know that the solo thing is going to follow that up by like a couple months. 
but I don't know when like the first song is going to get released. So sorry about that. What's your favorite song to play live? I think I answered that. Thoughts on a collaboration with Chris Wiseman? I do not know who that is, so I apologize. What about Usman's knockout of Masvidal? We talked about that. Hamilton, Intramatic, or Longines, Spirit? So this is a watch question for those who don't know. Um, and between the two, the Hamilton, Intramatic, or the Longines, Spirit? Oh, so non-chronograph. Yeah, that is a kind of a... That does matter. Okay. Yeah, so I'm going to go with the Ham- Hamilton Intramatic. And the reason why is it reminds me of the white one with the black circle. That's called Panda Dial for people who aren't familiar with watches. Um, basically, it reminds me of the Rolex Daytona, the Paul Newman Panda Dial. That watch is probably like $400,000, the, the the Paul Newman Daytona. I mean, any of those Paul Newman Daytonas are ridiculously expensive and rare. But the Hamilton Intramatic with the Panda Dial reminds me of the Paul Newman Daytona, which is just an iconic watch. And so for that reason, I'm going to go with the Hamilton. Okay, last question. Overall, good practice routine for a beginner who guitarist who wants to play tech metal. Okay, um, so the, I'm glad you said a genre like tech metal because there's a million things you can do for uh to get better at the guitar, but the tech metal genre, I would say things like let's work on our alternate picking and our down picking, but I would say let's try some chromatic exercises where you involve down up uh, picking, alternate picking, and that would get your hands tighter together. So I recommend one, I do this before we go on stage as a warm up. You do, uh, so every note is down up, down up, never, never fail, right? One, two, three, four, next string, one, two, three, four, one, next string, one, two, three, four, next string, one, two, three, four, and then you get to the top string, go four, now go. Five four three two five four three two five four three two. So that's I'm talking frets, for example. And that travels you up the neck if you keep that going. I'm sorry if this is confusing without a guitar, but I think that's a good exercise. By the time you get up and down the back down the neck, because it will take you back down once you get to the top, um, your hands are pretty well heat uh, warmed up. So I do it as a warm up, but also I think it gets your hands communicating together. You're, they get they become in sync. Um, up down up down note note note. Um, so that's good. Um, and then I would say metronome because well, I would say that with anything, but with tech metal in particular, like you're asking, um, it's really machine like music and it needs to be kind of perfect. And you don't want to be that dude who's only perfect on record and you're not your shit live. So the metronome will help you get there and maybe even do that first exercise I taught you that chromatic alternate picking exercise to a metronome and speed it up and speed it up and speed it up and speed it up and do it palm muted and do it not palm muted. Um, and yeah, you're going to get faster. Your hands are going to play better together. Um, you're going to develop your technique and it's a great one pre-show. So cool. All right. That's it for today. Thank you for all the questions. Thank you for, you know, sticking around, uh, nine, nine episodes we've done of this. I'm thinking for the 10 episode, I want to do like a giveaway with one of my uh, sponsors of the podcast. Maybe we'll do like a box and colors giveaway. Um, you know, I talk about having a guest, for the 10th, but the issue is I'm moving in the next month and I'm also going out of town for a weekend. So the podcast, I'm just going to get it done over the next month when I can, where I can. Um, but, uh, just thanks for being here. We're getting up to the 10th one. Sorry. It's been so hard for me to, you know, to keep them consistent, but I think I found a way that I like to do it now. And now I'm two weeks in a row, two podcasts. So cool. We're here. Um, and, uh, yeah. So thanks for being with me and I'll see you next week. All right.